0: The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit MDCAVL.org. Morning, church. How are we? Great. Good to see you. There you are. Uh, it's been so good to see some uh, faces I haven't seen in a year. And uh, I know there's also some uh, new faces here as well this morning. So welcome. My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at Missio. And I'm uh, really grateful that you are with us this morning. Uh, lots of good news coming this week. And so uh, the, mo- the, the best of which is you got new chairs, right? So, uh, yeah, I know you would love that. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to uh, Acts chapter 3 with me. Acts chapter 3 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. I'm actually going to get, try to get through the entire uh, chapter this morning. So uh, I hope you packed a lunch. We've been studying through Acts, and Acts really is, as I've said a few times before, what it looks like when the power of God is unleashed through his people, the church. And so chapter 1, if you haven't been with us, was essentially uh, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and as Jesus ascends into heaven, he's telling his disciples, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit who's going to empower you to be my witnesses. Well, chapter 2 comes, and that's exactly what we see. The Holy Spirit comes in power, fills all those 120 disciples. Peter, the sort of chief of those disciples, gets up and proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ, of his life, his death, his resurrection, to this huge crowd that had gathered, and, and thousands of people surrender their lives to the lordship of Christ. Last week at the end of chapter two, what we saw was these 3,000 believers are are now a family. They go from strangers to family. And we looked last week at how they lived that out, how they were devoted to God and to one another and how their devotion to God and one another uh, actually transformed other people's lives because they saw something radically different than they'd ever seen before uh, in the way that this faith was practiced. And so more and more people were added to their numbers. Today in chapter three, we're going to see one of about 14 instances in the book of Acts of divine healing. It's a miracle that we're going to see. Uh, and, and, you know, there are different perspectives today on uh, whether the miraculous is still for today or not. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time today talking about miracles, talking about healing. That We'll talk about that for sure uh, as we get through the book of Acts. But you have to realize that, um, I'll say this, there are some people who think the miraculous is, you know, just it it happened then, it's not for now. There's other people who think it's still for now and and we should be seeking it. Um, And I'm in the camp that says, who are we to tell God what he can and can't do? Okay, but on the same token, um, miracles, even in the book of Acts, were not all that frequent. There's only 14 of these instances of healing in 28 chapters. Like, this is the launch of of God's new covenant people, and you'd think if miracles were like the thing that they'd be in every page and every chapter, but they're not. And miracles don't happen in a vacuum. Uh, They were never the point, in other words, right? Every time you see a miraculous instance in the scriptures, uh, particularly in the gospels or in uh, the book of Acts, it's always meant to point to something greater, and that's actually what we're going to see this morning. So uh, I know it's a lot, but I think it'd be worth it if I read for us all 26 verses just to give us, you know, whether you're a, an auditory learner or, or a visual learner, you can look at the text, you can hear the text, and then we'll come back and make some observations uh, about it. But uh, chapter three, if you'll follow along with me in your Bibles, uh, you don't have to read it out loud, I'll read it. Uh, but let's, let's go through these verses and then I'll pray for us and we'll dive in here. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That's 3 p.m. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. All the people, utterly astounded, ran together into the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers... I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, but when God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time... For restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel to those who came after him also proclaimed these days... You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are grateful to be your people, called by the name of Jesus, um, forgiven, because of the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus welcomed into your family as your beloved sons and daughters. This is a gift that comes only by grace through faith, and that faith is a gift that you give to us. We are grateful that we belong to you. Uh, Father, we are um, grateful that uh, as COVID continues to uh, decline in our area, that we are uh, seeing great things uh, new protocols, new, new uh, lessening of restrictions. And I know that for some it's it's far too long in coming, and for others it, it feels too soon. Uh, and so even in those moments, Lord, we pray that you would, by your Spirit, help us to take that next step in trust and in faith, uh, that you'd continue to protect us, continue to allow the vaccine to be distributed so that we can get this behind us and go on about the work of your mission. And Lord, we, we think of uh, people around the world today, we think of those uh, in Israel and Gaza, who are uh, literally caught in the crossfire between uh, these two groups. And um, we grieve uh, with those who, who have lost uh, family members and friends. We, we grieve at the destruction uh, that is happening in that place and, and know that uh, really only you, Jesus, can bring peace. Uh, and so we pray that even in this tension, even in this uh, uh, nearly warlike climate, um, that the gospel would go forward Uh, that people would surrender themselves to Jesus, both Muslims and Jews, uh, and that they would find unity and peace that only Jesus can bring. Uh, But we we pray for a quick end to that conflict and just ask that you would be glorified in it. So now, Lord, as we study the scriptures, help us uh, to hear clearly. Help me to proclaim proclaim your word clearly uh, and, and help us to learn and grow from it. We pray in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. Uh, Since I read that whole text, I'm not going to go back and read every section, Uh, but what I want to focus on first here in these first 10 verses is the miracle, right? So I said there's a miracle, but there's also a message, so let's look at the miracle first. Uh, Peter and John are headed up to the temple to pray. Now, they were Jews. This is what they did, right? Uh, We said last week that all the disciples were devoted to the prayers, meaning that there were certain set times of prayer that the Jews uh, would participate in at the temple, and so Peter and John they're believers in Jesus, but they're still Jewish. And so they're going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, uh, the, the, the ninth hour, they say, which is 3 p.m. And and as they approach the temple, there's ten entrances to the temple. Now, there's one that's kind of the, the main entrance where most people would kind of file through. It's the beautiful gate. So uh, there were some scholars say that every gate had sort of um, ornate uh Gold and silver sort of laid on them, but this one particular gate had Corinthian bronze. Uh, and of course, over time, it sort of patinas and it has all these multicolors. But this is where most people would enter into the temple. And so this is where the, the lame and the beggars would go because uh, if you need donations, if you need alms, why not go to where all the people are filing in, okay? Uh, and so as Peter and John are approaching, here comes this man who the text tells us has been lame from birth, meaning he's disabled. There's a congenital uh, defection, uh, and so he's never been able to use his legs. He's never been able to walk. We, we hear that this is all his life. In chapter 4, we find out that uh, he's 40 years old at least, and so this is a long time that he's been going to the temple uh, and and begging for alms. There was no disability insurance back then. There there was no uh, government assistance programs, right? And so this guy is a beggar. He's poor, and he would be dependent on people to carry him to that temple entrance, uh, and there he would spend his days. You know, uh, if you kind of put it in modern context, it's like when you get off the interstate exit, uh, and there's the the guy or the gal with the little cardboard sign. Uh, Maybe they have a cup that they're rattling or whatever. It's that kind of thing. Now, not only was he physically handicapped, this man, but he's, he's spiritually outcast because people with disabilities like this were not actually allowed into the temple complex. So you just pi- picture the shame of that for this man who not only does not have the use of his legs, who, who does not have the ability to depend, you know, be dependent, uh, independent for himself, uh, to protect himself, to provide for himself, but he's not even allowed to worship with everybody else. He's not allowed into the temple. And so here he is, sort of in shame. You'll see that in a second because he doesn't even make eye contact with these, with these uh, guys. Uh, and that's where, this is where he spends his days. And so here Peter and John are coming up. They've been, now remember, they're not from Jerusalem. Uh, so so they, they, they were there for Pentecost. Uh, they, were, they were there. Uh, and so they've been there probably two months um, worshiping, praying, waiting for the Spirit, you know. And, uh, and so 60 days, let's say, they've, they've been in Jerusalem, which means if they're good Jews who are practicing the, the prayers, they've been walking past this guy. And, and by the way, this guy's not alone. There's plenty of lame and beggars who are sort of lined up along uh, the, the temple entrance. So they've walked past this guy probably dozens of times by now. Right? Maybe they've thrown a little change in his cup. Maybe they've said hi to him. Maybe they've just walked right past him. We don't know. But this time, it's different. We don't know why. Uh, the text doesn't tell us what, what it was like, that made them stop. But, but this time, it was different. And so they stop, and the text tells us that they focus in. In, in, in fact, I love the way the, the text says it, uh, that they directed their gaze at him. You see that in verse 4? Peter directed his gaze at him. It's very reminiscent of Jesus who uh, in the Gospels, he would, he would look at someone. He would, he would fix his eyes on them. It's almost like the rest of the world would disappear because he was laser-focused on that person and their need, and he would feel compassion for them, and then he would do something about it. This is the way of Jesus, you see. And so uh, here are uh, Peter and John, and, and Peter focuses his gaze on him, uh, and he and, and says that he's, he asks him to look at them. So again, you, you see the shame in this man who's he's you know, maybe he's got his cup or a little basket and he's you know, alms, do you have any alms? Can you give me, you know, spare change, you know, bus pass, cigarette, you got something for me? And 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 Peter stops and says, No, look, look at me. And they make eye contact. He has to lift this man's face up from his shame to focus on him. And then he says to him, I don't have any money. <laughs> Which is awkward, right? Because this man's going, do you have any money? And he goes, hey, look at me. I don't have any money. But what I do have, I give to you. Now, before we get to what actually happens here, just put yourself in the scene for a second. Um, This man is expecting. The text even says he's expecting to receive something. He's expecting that there's going to be some change or maybe even a dollar bill this time, you know? And for Peter to go, I don't have what you're looking for, man. But what I do have, I'm going to give to you. You're like, oh, is it going to be one of those Christian tracts? Like, don't give me that. You're like, what are you going to do? Um, I can't read this without thinking of a, a, a pastor that I know in a college town who uh, one time they received their offering. You know, they passed offering baskets around. And uh, in the offering was a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit. And, uh, and, and there was a note from a college student on the bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit that said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to thee. <laughs> So Peter says, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. I don't have money. But what I do have, I give to you. And then he says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Now, if you're this man, if you're this man who's been lame your entire life, and, you're, and you don't know who Peter is, and he's just some guy, and he goes, get up. You're like, are, is this some kind of cruel joke? Like, what are you doing? And then I think about Peter and the confidence that you have to have Maybe Peter and John, or maybe just Peter. Like, John's like, what are you doing? You know, like, he's freaked out by this. But, you know, in the, in the few moments in my life where I have felt a strong impression from the Lord, right, a, you know, probably many of you know what that feels like, right? It's a, a strong impression from the Holy Spirit. We have to admit that at best we're like 70% sure. So then to take action on that and actually speak with your words, get up. To a man who has been disabled his entire life. Like I just, the courage that it takes to act on faith like like that. And so he says to this man, get up. And then he reaches down and he helps lift him up. And then then the text tells us, verse 7, that as he lifted him, immediately, immediately he is healed. Strength, vitality comes to his ankles, his feet, his legs. This man has never stood up and walked a day in his life. And now what's he doing? Verse eight, "And leaping up, <laughs> he began to walk, and he entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. He's never taken a step, and now he's leaping. He's jumping for joy, literally, because he has been healed. Uh, th- this is actually a fulfillment of uh, a prophecy from Isaiah 35, that the lame will leap like the deer. And don't miss this. This is probably the most beautiful part of this. It says he entered the temple with them. This is the first time in this man's life, outside of maybe his dedication, right? Uh, Like Jesus was dedicated at the temple. All Jews would have been dedicated at the temple. But they didn't know he was disabled at that time, right? Outside of that, this is the first time that this man has been allowed in the temple, and he's worshiping God. He, he is praising the God that he has been estranged from his entire life. And then other people are seeing him, and they're watching him dancing around and, and, and praising God, and they're like, wait, isn't that a cardboard sign guy? What is going on here? Right, what is happening? Now, let's take a step back from the story for a second. What do we learn from this? So I know we're all like, this is a great story, but what does it mean for tomorrow, right? Because we're application-oriented people. Um, th- this occurred to me as I was reading the text this week. Sometimes our greatest ministry opportunities are in the places we walk by every single day. You know, Peter and John had been making this trek to the temple at least daily, you know, for for two months. And it, it didn't occur to them and it didn't occur to this man that there would ever be a healing that took place. But in this one moment, here, here it was. Uh, they were just going to the temple to pray. They didn't have this on their agenda. They weren't going out like, all right, we're gonna do some healing today, right? They were like, we gotta pray. We have somewhere to be, we have somewhere to go. They weren't looking for God to use them in this moment. And yet God stops them in their tracks, literally, and has them look at this man. I wonder if God has permission, so to speak, Uh, to interrupt your daily calendar? Does God have standing permission from you and me to interrupt our plans, even on the way to church? (laughs) The other thing that occurs to me here is that um, this was God's miracle, right? God did the healing, but it came through their ministry. Um, one commentator I read said, the power was Christ's, but the voice was Peter's. Right? In other words, uh, God leads, God empowers, but we still have to act. We, when the Holy Spirit does gi- give us that sense of, okay, you should talk to this person, or you should pray for this person, or, or you should, you know, um, we still have a choice in that moment. Do we respond to that prompt of the Spirit or not? And I wonder what it is that keeps us from being obedient to that. Because, you know, sometimes it is the Spirit prompting us to say something, to pray. One time, um, I think I had a dream or something, and uh, a friend of mine from high school just was like really, really on my mind and heart. And uh, sh- she lives in Portland, and she is as far from Jesus as they come. Uh, but I just had this distinct impression I needed to pray for her and, and, and reach out to her. And it took me like two days to build up the courage, but I sent her a, a message on Facebook, and I just said, hey, I don't know what's going on in your life, uh, but I, I just felt like I was supposed to pray for you. Is everything okay? And she was like, yeah, everything's fine. <laughs> okay, so maybe that was the Spirit. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe I just had, you know, like spicy food the night before and, and whatever. So my point in that is sometimes you'll take us a, a step, a leap of faith, and it is the Spirit prompting you to do something, and sometimes it isn't, but you do it anyway what's the worst that happens? You just told someone, hey, can I pray for you? Can I serve you? Now, don't go out like downtown and being like, get up to all the people like laying up. Don't do that, okay? Um, but I, I just wonder sometimes like what keeps us from taking that step because we're not sure. We're not confident, but our whole faith journey is not sure, right? It, that's why it's faith. Like we're trusting that, that perhaps God is up to something here, and you never know what God might do through you. Uh, the, the other thing that occurs to me here is um, this man had been going to the temple his entire life, but he only expected to get spare change. But God knew what he really needed. And, and sure, it took 40 years, you know, um, but God knew what he really needed, and he gave him what he needed in the moment. And, and by the way, the text doesn't tell us explicitly, um, but I don't think this man was only healed physically, He's worshiping God. He, I assume, right, placed his hope and trust in Jesus, the one who healed him. And there are some of us who've been in church our whole lives, and if we're honest, we've never expected God to show up here. We come, we go through the motions, we sing the songs, or stand there while other people sing the songs, and we look at the screen while people read the stuff, and we sit through the messages, and all the while. We're just kind of like hoping for like a little encouragement to get through the week or a little, you know, nugget that we can sort of hold on to, but we're not expecting God to show up. And some of you might be here today and you're not believers and you don't go to church, but you're just here because someone invited you and said they'd pay for your breakfast afterwards. So, so you're not here for Jesus, you're here for breakfast, and that's fine. That's okay, but listen, what if he wants to bring you healing today? What if he wants to to bring healing to that brokenness in your life, brokenness of your soul, brokenness of your body, brokenness of your mind, brokenness in relationship? What what if you are here today, not by accident, but because God actually wants to break through the religion, break through the the walls uh, of pride, and actually bring healing to you right where you are today? So that's the miracle, okay? Okay. Uh, first, first divine healing, first miracle performed by the apostles. The, the previous miracles right, have been the, the wind and the tongues of fire and the other languages and, and, and the 3,000 getting saved, but, but this was the first act of healing performed uh, by the apostles. Now, as I said before, the miracle is only a pathway to the message, and that's what we're going to look at next. Look at verse uh, 11 with me again. You guys tracking with me? Okay. Yep. <clears throat> While he clung, so this is cool. This guy, he stands up, he's leaping, but he's still clinging to Peter. <laughs> She's like, maybe this isn't going to last very long. I've got to hold on to you so I don't fall, fall down. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. That's a, an outskirt area, covered area uh, at the temple complex. And when Peter saw it, saw it he addressed the people. Uh, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though we by our own power or piety, that we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer, that's Barabbas, if you remember from the Gospels, to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are all witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. We'll stop there. Now the message, okay? Uh, People are watching as Cardboard Sign Guy is doing a triple lutz in the temple complex, and they're like, what is going on? And, and so a gathering a crowd, right? This is crazy. What is, what is happening here? And so they're, they're gathered at this place called Solomon's Porch or Solomon's Portico, uh, just a covered area, some pillars and whatnot, uh, big enough to hold this crowd. And Peter sees the crowd, and like a good preacher, he's like, all right, time for a sermon. Like He's just ready to go. I love that. And he says, he, says, uh, he starts to proclaim the gospel. Now, Now, here's what's interesting to me. He didn't... Just do a good deed and then let it it stand on its own. Not that there's anything wrong with good deeds, okay? They're good. (laughs) They're nice. But good deeds alone are not enough. Deeds are fine, but what we need is good news. And so, you know, there's that line uh, that gets attributed to St. Francis of Assisi that a lot of people are really fond of. It, It says, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. And the problem with that quote is words are always necessary because the gospel is a message, that must get proclaimed. It must get spoken. So, so do good deeds, right? Demonstrate the gospel in, in your life and in the way you serve people, but also <laughs> proclaim the message of the gospel. And so that's exactly what Peter is going to do here. In other words, the, the miracle made way for the message. It wasn't the other way around, okay? This, this miracle made way for the message. And just like in Acts 2, Peter is going to explain. Let me tell you what's going on here, okay? Uh, and, then, and then he says, why do you think that this is something that we did in our own strength. Like, I'm a Galilean fisherman. Like, I had nothing. <laughs> this is not me. This is not us. This is Jesus' work. And I love that after this miracle, because, you know, Peter is this guy who's sort of impetuous, and uh, he always has something to say, even if he's putting his foot in his mouth. Uh, if you remember when Jesus was transfigured uh, up on the Mount of Transfiguration, pretty sure it was called that after the Transfiguration, um, but he goes up there, he's, he sees Jesus transfigured. And then, because he doesn't have anything else to say, he's like, hey, should we uh, build a, a church? <laughs> should we build a structure? Like, he's just ready to do something. But here, instead of taking credit for the miracle, like, he could have been like, that's right, we healed him. Who's next? All right, he could have been like, I'm gonna start my TV ministry right now. Somebody get me a white coat that I can wave around on people and heal them. He could have done that, but he didn't. What did he do? He said, this is Jesus' work. And you have to know this, listen, because uh, those TV guys are out there and there's, you know, but, but all true miracles, all true healings point to Jesus. The credit doesn't go to the healer. Uh, well, it does. It goes to Jesus because the man is not the healer. The woman is not the healer. Jesus is the healer. And if you see on TV anyone doing these, these things and they're not giving credit to Jesus, they're not deflecting attention away from themselves to Jesus, they're not real miracles, That's just the truth. So here he says, this is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. God, the God of your fathers, the God of the patriarchs, he glorified Jesus because Jesus was plan A. Now you delivered Jesus to Pilate, you had him killed, but he's the author of life. You see what he does here? Um, When we see the word servant, uh, God's servant, Jesus, uh, that's, that's intentional. Because the Jews would have heard that and went, well, that's a loaded word, servant, the suffering servant from Isaiah 52 and 53. When he says you killed the author of life, he's speaking back all the way to Genesis, right? Because God created everything. When he says he's the holy one, the righteous one, he he's... He's, again, pointing them back to Old Testament passages to help them see that Jesus was not just a man who had power from God. He was God in the flesh. He is the holy one. He is the righteous one. He is the suffering servant. He is the author of life. And he says, and you killed him. You handed him over. You are responsible for his death. So not only is it all about Jesus, it's always been about Jesus. From Genesis Through all the prophets into this moment, it's all about and always been about Jesus. Your rebellion and rejection put Jesus on the cross, but God raised him up. And he says, and we're witnesses of that. That's what God called them to be, witnesses of the resurrection. And really, in a sense, that's all Christianity really is. Is people like you and I testifying that Jesus is alive and telling people what he's done for us. That's it. So, some of you might have the idea that, you know, becoming a Christian means getting rid of all the fun stuff you like to do, and becoming this very pious person who follows a lot of rules, and, and yes, there's stuff we have to die to, it's called sin, okay? Uh, but at the end of the day, it's, it's believing and trusting that Jesus is alive, that he wants to save me, that he wants to change me, and then telling people how Jesus has changed me. That's essentially what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so Peter is is going on and he continues to say, look, all this was predicted by the prophets. And God fulfilled all those prophecies in Jesus. He mentions Moses. He mentions Abraham. And and he's essentially saying to them, look, you guys, you got to pay attention because you're missing it. You're missing it. This reminds me of of Jesus in John chapter 5. Jesus said to the, the Bible scholars of his day, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you'll find life, and all the while you're missing me, who the scriptures are all about. (laughs) Peter's doing the same thing, right? Genesis is about Jesus. Abraham's stuff was about Jesus. Moses' stuff was about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. And And then he says this, which I find so fascinating. He says, and it's the name of Jesus. It's faith in the name of Jesus that has healed this man which is really fascinating because I don't remember anywhere in the text where this man put his faith in Jesus yet. It wasn't like they preached the gospel to him first and went, hey, if you believe, then God will heal you. So he's not talking about that man's faith. He's talking about his own faith, Peter's faith, which if you know Peter's story, is pretty crazy because he's the one who denied even knowing Jesus. And now he's going, it's my faith that healed him. That's not what he's saying. He's saying it's, the quali- it's not the quality of my faith, the object of my faith. It's not that Peter has this, you know, superhero level, high test, super strength, super faith that we don't have. It's not the quality of his faith. It's the object of his faith. It's Jesus who has brought healing to this man. It's trust in Jesus. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again. If you are putting your hope and trust in Jesus alone, even if it's the, the thinnest little straggly strand of faith that you can muster up. It's not about what you muster up, right? It's about Jesus. It's his, it's even your faith is a gift. So if you're trusting in Jesus alone, even if it's by that little straggly thinnest strand of faith, that's enough. You belong. You can be saved. You can be part of the family of God because it's not the quantity or the quality of your faith. It's the object of your faith. And then in verse 16 in his name, by faith in his name, uh, has made this man strong. Look at look at what he says. Whom you see and know. You know this man. You've seen this man every day of his life, probably every day of your life, sitting at the gate of the temple, begging for alms. You know this isn't a parlor trick, in other words, right? He's not some guy I just brought out of nowhere and went, oh, this guy's crippled, and now he can walk, right? It's No, you've seen him lame. You know who he is. You know that he's been here every day for his entire life, and now he's walking and leaping like the deer, and, and it occurred to me that perhaps some of the people that are in this crowd right now had been in the crowd on Pentecost, Maybe they were even some of those scoffers who were like hearing all the different languages and going, those guys are drunk. Remember that? And they could could brush it off and deny it then, but now they've seen a guy that they've walked right past for their entire lives get up and walk. You can't deny that. You can't brush that off. And so by God's grace these people in the crowd have yet another chance to respond to the gospel. And the miracle wasn't even the point. The miracle pointed to the message because the miracle is a picture of the gospel. Like all of us, all of us start out life spiritually lame. Disabled, unable to meet the righteous requirements of God's law, unable to be righteous and holy as God demands, even our very best efforts apart from Christ only get us to the gate where we sit helpless and unable to go, unable to access the very presence of God. But the beauty of the gospel is that God came to us In the person of Christ, he stooped down to us. He looked us in the eyes. He raised us up. And he healed us. He forgave us of our sin. He lived a life we couldn't live, perfect, holy, sinless. He died the death we all deserve for our rebellion and sin. He rose again from the dead, conquering our enemies of sin, death, and hell. And then he lifts us up. He strengthens us. And he allows us to leap for joy with the, with the power and presence of his very spirit inside of us. This is the gospel. What he did for this man is simply a picture of what he does for all of us in our souls. So the miracle was for the purpose of the message. But now, finally, and I'll try to get to this quickly. Um, I just called this section the movement. Okay? Uh, the movement. So if you're a note taker, that's the last M because, you know... You guys have real jobs, and I just think of stuff that all starts with the same letter. So, um, the movement. Look at verse 17 with me. You, You hanging in still? And now, brothers, verse 17, I know that you acted in ignorance, as also did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sin may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. We'll stop there. He says, Look, I know you ignored all the signs. Okay? Jesus was here for three years. And he, and he fulfilled all kinds of prophecies, and you guys just pushed him to the side. That's what you did. That's what your rulers did. I get it. You didn't fully understand what was going on. Guess what? Neither did we. <laughs> but now you know. And I'm telling you, Peter says, that God brought about what he promised. And so today you have a choice. And so he calls them, like he did in Acts chapter 2, to repent, to change their minds about Jesus, to change their direction, to turn away from themselves, to turn away from their sin, even to turn away, in a sense, from their religion. Because, see, all these people are Jews who are at the temple to worship God. So, so they're pious people, and yet they're amazed at the power that God's actually doing. So Peter's like, look, your religion ain't going to get you there. Your Sunday school attendance doesn't matter. What matters is that you receive Jesus and, and turn to him and if you'll do that, if you will repent, if you'll receive what Jesus is here to give you, he says this, if you repent, your sins will be blotted out. Now, we don't use language like that. And so I looked it up and because I think a lot of us, when you hear blotted out, you think about like um, white out. Like when I was a kid, I don't know anymore, we just type everything out and your phone has autocorrect and so it just replaces the wrong word with the right word or sometimes the wrong word, the right word with the wrong word. And we don't remember what it's like to have to write something out and then you make a mistake. Remember that? Uh, when I was in school, man, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but I would have to handwrite papers and stuff. And then you, you, you make a mistake in pen because, you know, you have to write in pen. And then you'd white it out, right? But here's the thing about whiteout, especially for us that are a little bit more ADD and perfectionist oriented, is that um, it's white it out and you can write over it, but you still know the mistake is there, <laughs> And if you see a paper that has whiteout on it, you're like, oh, that's a lot of mistakes, you know, even though it says the right stuff now. That's not what this is. This is not just a covering over, even though the original mistake is still under there. Um, The the kind of paper they used then was like papyrus or sometimes animal skin, okay? And the kind of ink that they used did not fully absorb into the paper. And so what you could do is, is you could actually blot out, okay, what was on the paper and wipe it clean and Repurpose that paper. That's what he's saying here. That if we will turn to Jesus, turn away from our sin in ourselves, that our sins will be blotted out, wiped clean, and we will be repurposed for God's purposes. See, all of us have a paper. Um, Colossians 2 calls it a record of debt that contains all of our sin. All of those times that we wanted to be our own authority, all of our unbelief and all of our disbelief and all of our misbelief and all of our ignorance and oblivion about who God is. Obliviousness, not oblivion. All of our rebellion. But see, Jesus becomes our substitute in his life and in his death. He pays the debt that we owe in full. He blots out all of our sin and transgression and he credits us with his Perfect spotless record. But, but then it says, not only are our sins blotted out, we all experience, he says, times of refreshing. Now, uh, it, I think we all know this, but specifically in this language, there's, there's two kinds of time or two words for time. One is chronos, where we get chronological, right? That just means like the next minute, the next hour. That's chronological time. And then there's a word called kairos, which means uh, a new season. Uh, it's it's a lasting and permanent change, and the word here when he says times of refreshing is the word kairos. That this is a new season, this is a new movement, a new moment where where you will experience refreshing. In other words, relief, uh, uh, breathing room. From what? F- from the carrying the weight of all your sin, you're free. You you you're relieved. You you. Uh, the restoration of vitality is what refreshing means. So, so picture this. You and I, like the lame beggar, at the temple gate, right? No way to get in, no way to access God. We're carrying with us the shame and the guilt of all of our sin, and then Jesus comes, and he takes all that burden from us, and he lifts us, and he strengthens us, and now we're in a new season, just like this lame man had a new season. 40 years of his life as a lame man, and now the rest of his life as a healed man. You and I have the chance to experience the forgiveness of God and walk as healed people, forgiven people, restored people with the Spirit of God dwelling inside Of us. Repurposed, refreshed. And then he says, now I'll I'll go very quickly. um, In verse 25, uh, you are the sons of the prophets of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Here's what he's saying You guys are Jews. Jesus decided to come to you first, but his message is for everybody on earth. So that's why Peter's here. He's saying, I'm proclaiming this to you because this message is not just for you. It's supposed to go through you. This message is meant for you, but it's also a movement that's supposed to go through you to all nations. And when we get to chapter 4, we're going to look at chapter 4 next week. But I want to point out one verse for you here. Because there's some controversy. There's some stuff that goes down. But look at verse 4 of chapter 4 with me. After Peter preaches his sermon, it says this, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about what? 5,000. How many Christians were there last week in our study? 3,000. Now there's 5,000, and it says the number of men, which means there's probably more than 5,000 total believers. It's incredible. So, in other words, let's not get hung up on the fact that this one man got his legs back. Let's rejoice in the fact that 2,000 got their souls restored to them. It's incredible. Thousands are spiritually healed, though one man is physically healed. And now this movement is off and running. 5,000, at least, believers who are going to turn the world upside down. Now, a couple things by way of application, then I'm done. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ... I want you to remember that you have dwelling within you the very same spirit that empowered Peter and John for this ministry. The very same spirit. And he he wants to empower us, brothers and sisters, for more than just Hulu and hobbies. He has a mission for every single one of us. He has a mission for us corporately. Okay, and so I want you... to dwell in the fact that the Spirit of God dwells inside of you at every moment for every purpose. So like in your job, uh, in your neighborhood, with your family, with your children, with your parents, with your friends, at the gym, uh, all the places you're going to be able to go now because stuff's going to open up. You are on mission with the power of God's Spirit. So are we listening to the Spirit? Are we following the promptings of the Spirit? Are we making room for the Spirit to to speak to us and and, and to encourage us and to move us uh, into the mission, the ministry that he has created for us. Secondly, uh, twice now we've seen good news lead to life for many, for thousands. And and I wonder for our sake, um, do we know the good news enough to be able to share it? Can we articulate the good news? So like, I would rather you walk out of these doors um, and not try to heal someone and make them walk, but be able to proclaim the truth of the gospel to someone so that they might spiritually live. Are we ready as a people to share the hope of Christ that is in us? Peter says uh, later in his letters that we ought to always be ready to share the hope that we have so in our doing good deeds are we also ready to share the good news we want to help you with that uh, we're working on some ministry opportunities right now that will uh, that are evangelistic in nature but will also help train you in how to share your faith uh, more effectively uh, and then finally it occurred to me that there may be some of us watching or some of us in the room this morning that are not followers of Jesus and 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 you didn't come for that. You didn't come to follow Jesus. Like you came for breakfast, or you came, you know, because uh, you didn't want to disappoint your friend, or or maybe you, you tuned in just to get a little bit of encouragement. But God had other plans. And so I, I want to invite you today, after hearing ab- about Jesus's life, his death, his resurrection, uh, knowing it's for you, I, I want to invite you to surrender yourself, your life, to the Lordship of Jesus, to Jesus, to to turn over your burdens to turn over your sins, uh, to be lifted, to be healed, to actually experience life and life to the full. Uh, and if that's something that, that you feel God pulling you to do, I'd love to talk with you about that and, and pray with you to that end. But um, I'm going to pray for us right now, uh, and then I'm going to invite the band to come back up. I don't have any actual questions for you to write down, but maybe you just spend a moment or two reflecting on what you've heard uh, and, and, and praying uh, yourself. And then uh, as the band comes up, we'll sing a couple more songs and then move into our time uh. Uh, and then I'll let you go. Father, uh, I thank you for these people. Thank you for the opportunity to to open the scripture. And I know that uh, i gone a little long this morning, but I pray that it's been helpful. I pray that it has been um, encouraging and challenging for my brothers and sisters. And help us now, Lord, just to reflect on what we've heard um, and, and to, as always, not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. Um, but help us more than anything to trust in Jesus. Uh, it is not by our might, by our piety, by our uh, power, that ministry gets done. It is only by your power. And so help us be vessels, um, be, be uh, available to you for your purposes uh, in our homes, in our city, uh, and around the world. We love you. We thank you for Jesus and all that we have in him. We ask your blessing over our time of response in his name and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.